This week on FX Guide TV. We look at the role of invisible effects in 127 hours and check out the new term over fxphd.com. This and more coming up next. Hello and welcome to FX Guide TV. Now in this episode, we're continuing our popular series of VFX breakdowns done using Nuke. It's common to immediately think of VFX mainly in big action blockbuster films, but the reality is that many features see a significant amount of work in invisible effects. One of those films is 127 Hours, currently available on Blu-ray and DVD around the world. Now, Union Visual Effects completed over 350 shots on the film, and at NAB, we caught up with compositor Mervyn New, who walked us through some of the seamless work they did on it. The visual effects on 127 Hours presented us with quite a number of different challenges. Um, these ranged from clean-up and digital makeup effects on James Franco's arm to um, matte paintings. We did quite a lot of uh, watch and camcorder screen replacements. Um, and we even did some Maya fluid and particle dynamics uh, in the creation of some CG dust. Um, overall, we completed over 350 shots for the film um, in three months with a team of about 20 people. Uh, within that, we had a core team of um, eight new, new artists and three, um, Maya three, three of those artists were also Maya generalists who could, who could provide some uh, 3D support as it was required. Um, what I'd like to show you today is how we tackled the Canyon's extension shots in Nuke. This is the shot I'd like to show you. It's probably one of the more memorable shots that we did and um, features a major turning point in the film uh, where the accident actually takes place and Aaron Ralston is at the start of his 127 hour ordeal uh, in the canyon. So that's the uh, original plate and this is the final shot. Um, there were quite, um, quite a number of things we had to do on this shot. I'll just quickly jump to Nuke. Um, as you can see, there was quite a major canyon extension we had to do. Uh, there's also a secondary canyon extension we had to do later in the shot over here. And on top of that, we had quite a lot of cleanup to do in terms of removing wires and various other bits and pieces. Um, most of the, pretty much all the canyon set extension shots were shot with a, a tiny um, SI2K camera, which um, was, was used to position in, in which, which enabled them to shoot in very tight spaces, basically. Um, there were a few issues we encountered. Because the uh, canyon set had to be lit from above, they couldn't shoot on green screens, uh, which meant there was quite a lot of roto that needed to be done, and uh, there was also quite a lot of light wrap. And also the upper parts of the canyon set were very bleached out, which meant that the, the edge that we had between the canyon set and the CG canyon, in a lot of cases we had to bring uh, closer to camera than we probably would have liked, and just meant that we had to do quite a lot of work to integrate the CG canyon with the live action plate. Um, there were also a lot of uh, creative considerations to take into account. Um, the canyon extensions were to play a major role in the film in uh, emphasising the sense of isolation and claustrophobia um, in the film. Um, so there were a lot of discussions early, early on with Danny Boyle as to um, how high the canyon extensions should be, what sort of colour, um, how much sky should we be seeing. And, um, and generally, um, the, those sort of considerations were taken into account almost on a shot-by-shot -shot basis, really. Um, although we had to kind of establish um, the basic 
Newtonian geometry beforehand as well. So anyway, I was, I was pretty um, impressed with Nuke's 3D environment from previous jobs that I had done. Um, so I was keen to implement it across all the Canyon set extensions that we did. And that would just allow our team of Nuke artists to um, concentrate on getting the shot done in Nuke um, instead of having to bounce back and forth between an external dedicated 3D application. Um, so what we ended up with was this. We basically, uh, just gonna load. We basically came up with a 3D um, canyon that we could use in Nuke. And there were quite a few things that were done during the shoot that helped us in the creation of this. Uh, firstly, we had uh, canyon LiDAR of the actual accident site in Utah. Um, whilst this didn't really give us the, a very detailed account of every nook and cranny inside the canyon, um, it really gave us a, a good general overview of how uh, steep and how narrow the actual canyon was. On top of that, we had some LiDAR scans of all the canyon set pieces. So here we have the rocks and the canyon walls. And these provided us with very high quality displacements which we could project onto our canyon, canyon geometry in ZBrush. On top of that, we had a whole load of uh, photographs taken by our VFX supervisor, Adam Gascoigne, uh, in Utah. Um, as well as some very high-res HDRIs of um, all the canyon set pieces and together uh, provided us with invaluable reference and textures with which we could texture the canyon. And basically our, our kind of the way we created this uh, CG canyon was to first export our displacement maps from ZBrush into Maya and then with our geometry and the displacement maps we were, we were able to bake out various texture passes that we could bring directly into Nuke and plug into our geometry. So here we've got um, a light pass, which is a full 16-bit floating point EXR. Um, that was a light pass, and here we've got color pass, and over here we've got ambient occlusion pass. Um, and these were just simply plugged into our geometry, and then with our tracked camera, uh, which was tracked with, basically our tracking workflow flow was um, basically a combination of either um, the Nuke's excellent 3D tracker or uh, PF track. In this case, is, uh, this was tracked with PF track and the camera was brought in within FBX. Um, and basically, if we look through our animated camera, that's what we get. And this was uh, just a really good way of um, um, having something, that, uh, a setup that could be used across all the uh, Canyon set extension shots. And all you had to do was um, just basically replace your tracked camera. And then these were pre-rendered and what you end up with is your standard passes, which can, be, which can then be comped in a traditional manner. So we've got our color corrections and a bit of atmospheric haze, and uh, that was comped over our uh, sky dome. It's basically just a sky dome texture plugged into a sphere, then read out uh, through a CD, uh, with a 3D camera. Um, and because we, had, um, because we had the camera um, and the geometry, um, our new artists were able to come up with some quite creative solutions um, to help to help sort of um, integrate our CG canyon with a live action plate. Uh, so, for instance, we could do some create some rough garbage masks uh, with which to uh, color correct the canyon. So, this was just rotated on frame 1,300, and then our tracked camera was basically frozen at that particular frame, and then just using that with a project 3D node, we projected the rotor shape onto the canyon geometry, and then once again read it out with our um, animated camera. 
and just, just by rotoing on a single frame we're able to have um, basically a tracked shape um, on the canyon which could be used to um, colour correct the canyon. And that brings me to the second canyon extension we had to do on this shot, which was down here. And this was much closer to camera and um, had some floor as well, and the lighting was uh, quite different. So we had to use quite a, a, a bit of a different approach in order to do this. Um, so what I did was I just went through um, our library of photographs and pulled this photograph out, which I thought would work pretty well. It's quite shady, it's got floor, and it's more or less from the, the right sort of camera angle. Um, and then basically took a single frame from our sequence um, and painted that on uh, with a bit of colour correction. Um, the cameras didn't quite line up, so this camera angle was actually slightly different from this. So basically I just used a quick nuke projection technique. I mean, it's, I just love nukes um, projection tools. They're really quick and easy to, to, to do, to use rather. So basically, Basically what I did was I just took a cube, just stretched it and placed a camera roughly in the same sort of position that would have been used to photograph that photograph. And then what we end up with is a kind of rough 3D version of that photograph. And then just duplicated that camera and moved it further down and then uh, rendered, it, rendered that back out again. And then what you end up with is this. I mean you could probably achieve the same sort of result with a grid warp but um, I just find the projection tools in Nuke just so easy and easy to use and, um, and they're just great really. <laughs> and then just colour correcting it and with a bit of paint work, painted it onto this single frame. And then once again took the camera at the same frame that I, uh, that I painted up and projected it onto some more geometry. And this is the 3D setup that we have. Because we had these, um, these canyon panels uh, from the previous approach, um, basically um, these canyon the, I basically split up the canyon, CG canyon, canyon geometry that we had into separate panels, and this was just a way of optimizing um, canyon setup that we had in, in Nuke, so that our, our artists could just pull in the canyon sections that they needed for, for each shot, really. Um, and then I just took some cards and intersected it with it with the, uh, the canyon geometry that we had to represent the floor and the kind of the back wall of that, of that part of the canyon. And then with our frozen camera, uh, projected that painted texture onto the geometry. And basically what you end up with is, is a textured, textured model of that part of the canyon in Nuke. And then when you just view it through our tracked camera, this is what you get. And that really didn't take too much effort at all. And you know, you, you've got all the perspective shift and the parallax of the original plate. Um, and it just tracks perfectly onto our, um, to our live action plate really, really well. And so that was just pre-rendered, uh, cut out, and then just comped on top of our plate. And so basically with this approach, we were able to do kind of a broad brush stroke uh, with the CG Canyon that we had in Nuke. And then if you needed to, if, to go in and um, add a bit more detail just because it was a different position or uh, the canyon was uh, much closer to camera, we could just go in and choose some textures from photographs and just project it. And that was just, just gave us that little bit extra control to um, bed, it, bed that um, CG Canyon into the scene. And that brings me to a third approach which we used, 
So this is the final shot, and this is the original scan. And the, the Canyon extension in this, um, in this shot was much closer to camera, so it needed, needed quite a bit more work to, um, to get it to integrate and um, to, to make that edge a lot more vis invisible. Um, so we, we had a third approach, uh, once again, pretty much using the same sort of projection techniques that I've been showing you. Um, but this time, um, basically, essentially what we did was we cloned some of the textures from the original plate um, onto the CG Canyon. So here I've just got the sequence, um, just as an example, and used a frame hold to frame hold it at frame 1020. And then with a rotopaint node, um, just say we like some of this detail we've got here, we'd like to put it on our CG Canyon. Um, I mean, you'd probably take a bit more time over this, but just to kind of demonstrate what we did. Um, just paint some of that detail back onto the uh, CG Canyon. So that's, those are our brush, brush strokes, basically. And then this just, uh, this basically just flattens it, takes the lens distortion out before it goes into our 3D setup. And this is just the frozen camera again on frame 1020 with a project 3D node into our geometry and then read out again with our um, animated camera and then lens distortion put back on again. And basically, this is what you get. And if we go to a different frame, that's completely tracked onto the CG geometry. So that was just a really quick and easy way just to um, add that little bit of extra detail to uh, integrate it into the scene. And I'll just show you uh, just another example of one of the set extensions that we did. Basically, the, um, um, basically from the point Aaron Ralston has his arm trapped on the rock, to his eventual release. Everything was filmed on a canyon set, and the canyon set was 30 foot high and uh, 60 foot in length, which pretty much meant that any camera angle that was either facing up or down, lengthways down the canyon required some form of canyon set extension. Um, and this is the original plate. And that's the finished shot. And then just to finish up with, uh, to finish off, I'm just gonna show you, just say a few things about some of the other shots we had to work on, like the arm shots. We had quite a few of these swimming shots to do, and basically the workflow for this was to um, rotomate a piece of geometry onto the arm. Um, and basically we rendered out um, the CG from our 3D application and brought it into Nuke. But what was great was we were, we were able to bring in the um, geometry into Nuke and the camera, and we, we were able to project caustics, water caustics onto the, uh, onto the arm, um, and various other things which is really good. So that was basically a rotomation sort of uh, workflow. And then if you're a bit squeamish, you should probably look away, because I'm just going to show you some, um, some of the kind of arm cutting bits. <laughs> so this is the uh, original plate, and you can see the latex arm. And the workflow for this was actually a 2D approach, because we had quite a lot of these shots to do. And to rotomate a piece of geometry onto this would have taken quite a lot of time. And you've got a lot of stretching and pulling on the skin. So what we ended up doing was using grid warps and this is the final shot. And just using, uh, just tracking parts of, the, uh, parts of the plate and attaching that to points on our grid wall, we were able to track that on. And we've sort of painted in some more connective tissue and specular highlights and some more blood. And then finally, I'm just gonna quickly talk about uh, the Dustman sequence. 
Um, this was the finished shot. And we did a lot of uh, particle and fluid dynamics in, in Maya. And this was the original plate. We also did some cloth sim simulations on the, the clothes. Um, most of that was pretty much uh, rendered straight out of Maya, but uh, using Nuke's 3D um, environment, we were able to uh, position some more sort of um, secondary uh, dust elements uh, into the scene. And this is basically the um, cloth sim that we had, and I just brought it in using uh, an OBJ sequence, basically. And so we were able to get the sort of exact positions of where to place dust, ele dust elements in the scene. And that was really good. Another great use of uh, um, Nuke's 3D environment. Thanks, Mervyn, for taking the time to walk us through some of the work done on the film. And now, if you're a Nuke artist looking to take your skills to the next level, we've got a fantastic new advanced compositing course in our just announced July term over at fxphd.com. So here's a quick look at that and our other new courses that begin the week of July 11th. Welcome to July 2011 Orientation Week video. I'm John Montgomery, one of the co-founders of FXPHD. Both Mike and I are really excited about the curriculum we have in store this term, and we've spent a great deal of time listening to members' requests. Now, Mike's going to be speaking a little later about one of the areas of focus, and that's 3D. But I want to start out with this probably our number one request from members, and that's to have a new advanced compositing-based course. I'm really excited to say that we've got Russell Dodson returning to teach his second course at FXBHD, and he's actually going to be teaching a course alongside another Maya course taught by Robert Harrington, working in Maya as a lighting TD. So those two guys are working together, and they just got back from the shoot in London this past weekend. Let's hear from them what they've got planned for the term. Hello, everybody. This is Russell Dodson. And I'm Robert Harrington, and we're here to introduce two new courses for this term. We've just got back from a really great day on location where we've been filming a few short sequences for use in our project-based courses. We've been at this old engine test facility at a decommissioned RAF base in the UK. The overall aim of our courses is to emulate a production-style project taking scenes to completion within our respective parts of the pipeline. With that in mind, we organised an ambitious shoot all shot on Red MX with full scenes of dialogue, excellent actors, a variety of lighting scenarios and even an armourer with a car full of guns. In Nuke 305, we'll be addressing all three of the scenes we filmed, breaking them down into their component parts and learning how to look at a sequence as a whole, as well as shots in isolation. We'll be starting at the end first, with a hypothetical showdown between our hero and a crazed scientist. In this sequence, we'll be doing some multi-pass live-action compositing, loads of cleanup, choreographing our bullet hits, adding muzzle flashes, as well as lots of other tasks too. In our second scene, we'll be keying our characters, cleaning up our shots, and getting really stuck in to CG multi-pass compositing using the renders generated in Maya 214. We'll be paying particular attention to reconstructing a beauty render from its component passes, making sure we understand how the different passes relate to real life. And in our final sequence, we'll be looking at compositing the same objects in a completely different lighting environment, relighting the live action plate, and developing a really dramatic stylistic shot. For this term, we'll be using the newly released Nuke 6.3, so we'll have lots of new tools to play with too. Back to Rob. To get us started on Maya 214, we've had some really great concept art modelled up to be our hero asset. It's a giant futuristic power source of doom that's threatening the heroine's life. And we'll be taking that all the way through to the final renders. From the location we've got multiple lighting environments we need to recreate, HDRs to assemble, grey balls to calibrate, material samples to match and integration challenges that await us. One really important focus of this course is the interaction between our department, lighting and rendering, and Russell's compositing department. He'll be getting heavily into multi-pass compositing, 
giving him the choice to completely reconstruct our work if he wants to. With that in mind, we're going to have to troubleshoot both the shaders and mental ray to make sure that our beauty can be perfectly reassembled from its internal elements as well as making sure that all of our utility passes are actually useful. Along the way we will no doubt experience a selection of curveballs relating to both the shoot schedule, Russell's crazy requests and mental ray's own little peculiarities. Rob and I are really excited to be teaching these two courses this term. They're going to offer students a great opportunity to add some fully developed scenes to their showreels. So goodbye from us for now and we'll see you in the forums. Well, building out from those courses, I'm really proud to say that Tim Clapham is back with a 210 motion graphics course. Hi everyone, Tim Clapham here and thanks for taking a look at this quick introduction to the course that I'll be taking um, this term on FX PhD. And I'll be taking you through the development and animation of a channel ident, um, right from the initial concept through to the final rendering. And the idea is that we take this clip and we're going to uh, go through making some selects. We're also going to then take the select, create an animatic um, in After Effects. And um, once we're happy with that, we're going to take that into Synthize and we're going to track that shot. That's a fair bit of work to get this shot tracked. So we won't be tracking it step by step, but what we'll be doing is we'll be looking at the process that I use to track this, a lot of the problems that I came across and how I solve those. Um, and you'll be able to take this footage and have a go at tracking it yourself. As well as looking at technical approaches to uh, projects like this, such as tracking, we'll also be looking at the design process. And of course, this is um, an integral part of any project and we'll be working in Illustrator and we'll be doing things um, like creating graphics for the spot, such as these examples here. Um, we'll also be developing some graphics for a uh, kind of head up display, such as these examples that I have here. And you'll be able to kind of follow along in the class and then of course, create your own. Here's an example of a style frame that I've created and you can see at the top here we have um, a frame from the original plate and down below here we have one of the style frames that I've created and you can see we have a head up display, we have some graphics on the road, we have some 3D objects as well and of course we will be working with Cinema 4D and we'll be modelling this joystick um, which is just one of the elements and we'll also be modelling all of these parts um, which will build along the side of the road as we drive through will bring it all together and that will involve animating everything within Cinema 4D, uh, match moving um, our 3D to the background plate, um, we'll be creating shadow casters working with multi-pass rendering, we'll also be using um, some MoGraph um, to create all of the elements. Once we've created these we'll be rendering them out each week and taking them over to comp in after effects and over the last few weeks of the project um, it will slowly come together and at the end of this we will have a finished product um, that you can all use render in your own way you'll be able to use your own grades you'll be able to use the footage that we supply and hopefully this will give you a good insight into the processes involved in creating um, spots in a real kind of workflow based on a production environment if you want more details then don't forget to check out uh, the fx phd website for more info um, if you do decide to take this course then i'll see you all on the forums thanks a lot We've been trying to expand on our 3D sort of courses here at FXPHD and I think this time we're really delivering on that with three specialist courses. The first of which is a Houdini water sim type course which is going to be terrific. 
Also, we're doing a modeling kind of mud box course. If, if you ever want to build a cathedral, this is the course for you. And that's going to get incorporated in some other courses we're going to be doing here at FX PhD. So that'll have like a real life beyond just this course. And also uh, a particle destruction course, a 100 level course. Any of you know me, you know that I love destruction sims and water sims. So I think all of these courses will be great. Let's check them out now. Hi guys, I'm Gris Tuvelu from Pixelmondo Berlin and I'm going to be taking you through the visual effects techniques for Max course which is about the coolest thing in CG I think, which is blowing stuff up. And we're going to go through all the steps in the process of doing destruction sequences. Uh, we're going to start with preparation of assets, then we're going to do fragmentation of um, different types of materials like wood, stone, concrete, glass. And then we'll get to rigid boy dynamics with thin particles and we're going to spice them up with all kinds of debris like shards, splinters and sparks. And of course, fire and smoke, we're going to get uh, into the mix. So I think you guys are going to really have a lot of fun on this one. Like it or not, Roto and Retouch are kind of the bread and butter of a compositor's job. Sure, you've got the glamour things like grading and multipass compositing. But basically the entry level, as well as just stuff that you have to do prepping a shot for compositing, involves Roto and Retouch. We're really excited this term to have our first Silhouette Effects course at FX PhD. Teaching it is going to be Bren Brownlee. He's from the UK and he's going to be working through various shots, just dealing with the type of things that you might find on the job where you could use Silhouette Effects. Obviously I've been a big fan of Autodesk software releases, being the owner of a Flame and Smoke Linux system here in Chicago. What we're doing this term is going to redo our introductory Smoke on Mac course in the 2012 release. One of the reasons is because Mike and I were actually both messing around with Flame, he in Sydney and myself in Chicago, we were on the phone. And we were like, where did this button go? What's this button do? I mean, there's a ton of stuff that's changed recently in the software. And so I thought the time was right to redo our introductory offering. Teaching the course is Randy McEntee, and he works at the Mill in New York City, working on TV commercials. And he's going to approach the software really from the ground up and pay particular attention to those of you who haven't sat in front of an Autodesk application like Flame or Smoke before. Editing has always been a big focus for us here at FX PhD, and this term is no exception. Now, obviously, you saw the release of Final Cut Pro 10 recently, which, well, had kind of lukewarm reviews, I think. We're going to hold off on a course for that when they introduce more of the pro features I think people demand of facilities and on the job. What we are going to do is actually rerun some favorites from our members in other applications, things like our Premiere Pro course taught by Tim Kolb and our Media Composer course taught by Liz Tate. So if you're looking around at other applications at this point in time, those will provide some options for you. But in addition to those reruns, we've got a new Premiere Pro course that's being taught by Tyler Ginter. Now he was involved with us for the DOP course last summer in Yellowstone. And he's returning because he's basically been using Premiere Pro nonstop, tackling it for independent filmmaking. Well, really excited to have a brand new DSLR cinematography course in the July term. And Billy, it's so great to have you as part of FX PhD. Thanks very much. Well, I've been editing professionally, uh, advertising clients and, and uh, other you know, short films, things like that, for about 20 years. I've been also a still photographer for about 20 years. What I'd like to sort of go uh, take, take from there and go forward is to talk about some of the uh, artful, if you will, um, uh, techniques that mm -hmm. I use. Um, you know, we're not just about making an image that's in focus. You know, we, we, we're worried about depth of field, we're worrying about lighting, we're worrying about mood. You know, what can you do with, with different looks? You know, how can you, how can you change the mood with literally the lenses you're using and, and things like that? So while we will be touching on the technical, it will be more 
how do we create the art from the technical? Yeah, and I think it's really great too. Some of these things are doing really simple. You like, for instance, using one light. Love but, using one light. But yeah. I think one of the key things is this idea of what you came up with. The idea is the idea of doing exercises. Yeah. Of course. I'd like to. I'd like. To, I'd like. To, you know, because everybody. Everybody does something. Everybody does everything differently. And and uh, I'm certainly not going to tell you this is the one way to do it. But I'd, I'd like to show you how I do it. And so we'll we'll do some experimenting where we'll say let's let's light with one light. What can we do with one light? And how can we create a mood with that or an artful look, and then we're going to go outside and we'll use the one light that's the right. sun. You know, how do we tame that? Because that is the most powerful light ever, and it's wonderful, and it's also really hard to work with sometimes because it's so powerful. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll set up some exercises where you can uh, use a lot of the different scenarios that we're talking about and uh, upload those, and we'll look at them, and we'll talk about them, and compare notes. Yeah, I think it's really great. I think the members of the course can really make this a lot more fun too is doing that. We're really looking forward to the term. I can't wait to see what everybody comes up with. Also returning this term is Victor. Now Victor is obviously a very accomplished VFX artist, supervisor, flame artist, but he's also of course extremely good at tracking. 3D camera tracking, 3D object tracking, and he's going to do a new Synthize course. Now this is a 100 level course, so if you've not really got into Synthize, this is the course. Let you get in, they will do some really, really great shots with an incredibly accessible piece of software. Well, that's it from me, other than to say, of course, we have Background Fundamentals, which, as you know, is our kind of magazine course that's included with any uh, membership here at FXPHD, where you're going to cover a bunch of things, we have challenges and stuff. And in that magazine-style format, this term, we're going to be doing things about getting stuff accurately from set to screen in a bunch of different ways. We're going to actually start kind of retro, look back at uh, optical printers with a bit of help from our friends at ILM and also from uh, Stu Mashowitz. A lot of fun if you've ever, uh, well, if you're into After Effects in particular. <laughs> and then we're going to be working our way through to Epic HDRX uh, scene linear workflow using OpenEXRs. And along the way, we're going to be covering a bunch of stuff, some of a bit controversial to do with HDRs and stuff, but I think you'll really enjoy it. And uh, hopefully you'll join us this term for that as well in background fundamentals. Well, that's a look at our new courses in the term at FXPHD for a whole slate of courses that we have. We have more than 30 repeats running. Check out fxphd.com courses. And one other thing I want to mention, one of the great things about FXPHD is VPN software. Basically what it means, you can run the full-fledged versions of software like Nuke or Smoke on Mac on your local computer. If you're a member of FXPHD, you log in your server, our server, and get licensed that way. So it's a really great way to follow along with the various software courses that we have running this term. Well, that's it. If you have any questions or comments, drop us a line using the contact link on the fxphd.com homepage. And as always, we hope to see you in the forums. See ya. Well, that's all we have time for this episode. But before I go, a big congrats to our team on the VFX Show podcast. That show just passed their one millionth ep download. Congratulations, guys. And like this show, it's available on iTunes or from fxguide.com. Well, until next time, I'm Angie. See ya. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.